0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, hey there. Welcome
1: back in to the Eye on College Basketball podcast. I am Matt Norlander. Back from the Peach Jam. Was great to get down there. Was also at Adidas. See a number of prospects and uh, really well-run event this year on both ends for adidas and for nike uh, they were about two hours apart with adidas in rock hill south carolina and then as always the nike peach jam going down in north augusta south carolina saw a litany of coaches and uh, a lot of players and it's always good to get down there and catch up with a bunch of people we will get to a lot listen this is going to be a lot of recruiting heavy specific kind of stuff want to give our listeners here you know, a real good primer on the players to know and, and and where they are at with some of their recruitments and what they just showed uh, in the first week of July. So, listen, Gary Parish, vacation this week. Yeah, no no show with Parish today. Sorry to say it. Sorry to say it. But here's the real real. Adam Finkelstein, uh, the, the director of scouting for 247 Sports, he's going to come in in just a couple of minutes and I'm going to ask him questions and he's going to make all of us smarter. Uh, the plan a few days ago was just to do an episode based off of that. But that's not how we have to start the show. All right. We got to get into Bob Huggins here because I mean, the Huggins stuff has developed into bizarro world is quickly moving into the most annoying story of the entire offseason. So if you are if you if you've been following with the news cycle be it checking in on your CBS Sports app at cbsports.com if you're on social media like you're you're probably gen, generally aware i think most people tuning into the podcast are at least somewhat updated on the Huggins situation but i do know that we have a healthy portion of our audience that you know doesn't use social media and maybe maybe you're enjoying the middle of your of your july and if so You know what? More power to you. I appreciate you. That's 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 you're living life right. However, if you are unaware, uh, Bob Huggins believes that he should be reinstated as the coach at West Virginia. You can hit the tap back 15 second mark uh, on your podcast. Hear me say that again. I did not stutter. I did not state that incorrectly. So uh, I got a whole bunch of stuff to read here. Then a quick take off of it. Let me let me catch you all up. All right. So last Friday, last Friday. There's a there's a man, a lawyer. His name is David Campbell. He is representing Bob Huggins. Now, he has recently began representing Bob Huggins. Bob Huggins has other attorneys, but they are not uh, material to whatever the hell is happening right now. So David Campbell sends a letter to the president of West Virginia, uh, E. Gordon Gee. And in this letter, uh, he basically states, Bob Huggins never technically resigned. You guys put up uh, a statement from him on social media that you know quoted him and said he was resigning, but he never actually technically resigned. So pursuant to his employment agreement, uh, Bob Huggins is still actually employed by West Virginia and seeks to return as the coach of the men's basketball program. Um, the letter from Huggins' lawyer, David Campbell, uh, at first says that Huggins does not seek any kind of litigation, doesn't want that. But at the end of it, it says, listen, if we don't resolve this, Um, we'll be happy to sue and and see you in court. So that gets sent on Friday. Then West Virginia's general counsel led by uh, an attorney named Stephanie Taylor sent a reply letter. Now, all of this came to light Saturday night. I was flying. I landed, I landed in white Plains at, I don't even know 10 o'clock at night. I land to, (laughs) to these text messages and, Slack messages about, have you seen this Huggins story? Because by that point, credit to Metro News and Hoppy Kirchhoff, who were the ones to bring this to light, um, the trading of these two letters. Okay. And I'm going to quote from the first letter from Saturday from Stephanie Stephanie Taylor responding to Campbell's letter. And it's written, aside from being completely factually inaccurate, which we addressed briefly below, the allegations with this, within this letter at odds with my conversations yesterday with Mr. Bob Fitzsimmons, a West Virginia lawyer who has recently represented Mr. Huggins in various matters, and with the university's prior conversations and documented correspondence with Mr. James Rocky Gianola, Mr. Huggins's long-standing lawyer who has historically represented him, who represented him during the May 2023 negotiations with the university, my quote here: she's obviously referring to the radio incident with Huggins in which he almost lost his job back to the statement and who represented him in conversations with the university on June 16th and 17th, 2023 when Mr. Huggins decided to resign as WVU head men's basketball coach and retire from the university effective immediately. Okay. So that's its own new cycle unto itself. Then, uh, Campbell responds in a letter on Sunday and then the university responded back to him on Monday. Both of those came to light on Monday. Oh, and by the way, oh, and by the way, Huggins put out a statement. Now, I'm going to read this whole damn thing. All right. Uh, it's a lot of setup here. I apologize. But I still can't even believe we're at this point. Um, but nevertheless, through Campbell, his newfound attorney, Huggins released the following statement. The press has now seen the letter sent by my counsel setting forth my position that I never resigned from my employment as head basketball coach for West Virginia university. My attorney will address the legal issues relating to my purported resignation. I wanted to respond to WVU statements and set the record straight on the past two weeks. Initially, let me say that I am truly sorry for the mistake that I made in Pittsburgh. I've taken responsibility for the mistake and have taken course to verify that such a mistake will not occur in the future. I voluntarily checked into a world-class rehabilitation center, and I intend to remain in the center until I am cleared to return my active coaching duties. The letter continues. This is Huggins again. Due to my focus on the rehabilitation, I have not been in the media or responding to WVU statements regarding the incident. I now understand that WVU published a statement purportedly written by me at 10.30 p.m. on June 17th, 2023. The WVU statement provides, today I've submitted a letter to President Gordon and Vice President and Director of Athletics, Ron Baker, informing them of my resignation and intention to retire as head men's basketball coach at West Virginia, effective immediately. End quote. Huggins continues. I did not draft or review WVU statements. This false statement was sent under my name, but no signature is included. In addition, the false unsigned statement was accompanied by a joint statement from the president and athletics director that clearly implied that they had received this purported resignation letter from me. Coach Huggins informed us of his intent to retire and has submitted his letter of resignation and we've accepted it in light of recent events. We support his decision so that he can focus on his health and family. End quote. Two more graphs from Huggins here. I'm employed by WVU pursuant to an employment agreement, and I never submitted the notice required on the employment agreement to voluntarily resign. I let WVU know that I was seeking rehabilitation. However, WVU was not willing to speak with me about the Pittsburgh event nor to provide me time to obtain counsel to review my employment agreement. I met with the pl- my players on June 17th and let them know the truth that I did not know what would happen to me, but that if I was not their coach, I was hoping that I would be replaced by a coach that I recommended to WVU. Most importantly, whether I was staying or not, I was encouraging the players to stay at WVU. My players come first, and they needed to hear my support for WVU directly from me. Last graph from Huggins. Now that I have obtained counsel to review the employment agreement and have seen WVU's comments about my current status... It is clear that WVU did not handle the situation appropriately. More importantly, the basketball program is in need, and I have a strong desire to conclude my career as the head basketball coach for the program that I love. I hope to meet with WVU in the near future to resolve the situation. So that's the letter Huggins writes on Monday. It goes public. Now, I'm not going to go nuts with the, with the next set of, of letters here, but Campbell again responds. And there's a little bit of snark in that letter, you know, accusing Stephanie Taylor, the lead counsel of West Virginia, that her first letter was written with the intention of forwarding it to the media and had statements, you know, made for Twitter or whatever. Then Taylor just completely eviscerates Campbell and the, the follow up. I mean, it is a I'm no lawyer, but this thing reads like few other legal letters I've ever seen in my life. Uh, You can find the story in the description of this podcast. We'll link to the news or not if we could do that, if you could be so kind. And uh, and you can see a full PDF of of all that. But, you know, the main takeaways in this are that Taylor writes, hey, and I'm going to paraphrase and use my own interpretation here. Hey, listen, Huggins has two other attorneys. We were dealing with them when he resigned. Who are you? Are you his now his primary attorney? Should we be consulting with his other attorneys about this matter? Are you only working with him specifically as it pertains to the resignation and the technicality of it? Okay. not only that, but Rocky Giannola, who is one of Huggins, as I understand it, one of Huggins's closest friends. He was the guy that on the Friday that Huggins got arrested for again. Remember, remember the issue here. Huggins had a shredded tire did not know he was in Pittsburgh and blew a point two one zero. Okay. So he, re- he resigned. And Oh, by the way, if he had not resigned, quite obviously the president and the people at West Virginia went to him. I'm told and said, listen, you got two options here. You either resign or we will fire you. Like this is, it is one or two. So he resigned in that moment doing so through Rocky Gianola, who was communicating with West Virginia's general counsel, and Gordon Gee, et cetera, et cetera. So they were the ones communicating this resignation. What's more, Huggins told the team in person he was resigning. That is West Virginia's understanding, okay? Then Huggins, this is per the letter from Stephanie Taylor, got on the phone with an associate athletic director of West Virginia and told him he was resigning. And at no point in the prior three weeks with this, had Huggins ever expressed. Now I understand he's been in a rehab facility and oh, by the way, good on him. Like hope he's taking it seriously and hopefully he can, uh, you know, course correct in a significant way here. But if he's been, you know, largely radio silent, I get that. But this is like, he didn't object to it. Two days later, we didn't hear from Huggins or anyone else. Six days after his resignation, this took three weeks. And then the kicker for me is that in this letter from Taylor, she lays out that on the Sunday that's three weeks back after he gets, he gets fired. He resigns on a Saturday. He goes to his office. He is cleaning out his office. He sees Ren Baker, the athletic director in the office. They discuss, you know, sadness and whatever they discuss in the office about him no longer being the coach of West Virginia. Huggins is cleaning out his office. Okay. Then a few weeks pass. I don't know if this is about money. You know, Huggins has made what north of 40 million as the at West Virginia alone, And what I I have been told and just kind of asking around is that if you think, because what I thought this might be is Huggins have, you know, Huggins had a a very core group of of boosters and buddies and, you know, people around that, that town, that university that are, you know, they live and die with West Virginia sports. Right. And maybe a few of them were kind of rallying him up like, hey, maybe this isn't really over. That's I'm told that's not what this is. I am told that Bob Huggins has lost most, if not all support from the people around the university that had been with him for a long, long time. This is more Huggins and some, but not all people in his family that are, that are trying to get him to do this. What the objective is. I don't know if you go back and look at actually how he wound up losing his job at Cincinnati. There's a lot of weird similarities here. And I'm not just talking about a DUI instigating an ultimate termination of employment there. Uh, But the fact that you have two lawyers who were involved with Huggins as it pertained to all the resignation stuff. And then you've got this new lawyer that is just kind of swooping out of nowhere. And, and in doing so, even if it's, you know, it's obviously at Huggins's direction or it would certainly appear to be just mutilating his reputation at that university, like damaging his legacy forever. Like he has gone from, man, what an embarrassing way to have your, probably your coaching career, but certainly your time at West Virginia end. But maybe you know what? Maybe we let time pass, a couple years go by, and maybe there's there's something that can be done to to recognize Huggins. Right? You've gone from that to, I don't even know, because quite clearly when Huggins kept his job after the radio thing and sat down with the president and under those terms, obviously had to be a no zero tolerance. Like you're going to keep your job. We're going to redo your contract. You're going to have a three game suspension, but there's no more like you're th- There's no more leniency here. Well, then he gets arrested for the drunk driving incident and, in just completely humiliating fashion. And it's still a, you know, a minor miracle, if not more that, no one got hurt in that. When you consider he did not know where he was and he had produced a receipt from what a Burger King seven hours earlier and like what an hour and a half away. It's truly mind blowing, but now he's, he just seems detached from reality. You're not getting your job back. There's no chance of that happening and you've lost the support and the goodwill of so many people around the university. And now you've got people being like, has Huggins gone off has he, has, has he gone off the ledge here? Like what is going on? What is this about? Because even if, even if he is able to somehow litigate and get to a point where he can win a legal battle over whether he resigned or not, hello, West Virginia would simply just be like, bada bing, you're fired with cause. We're not paying you. Are you kidding me? With everything that he went through, the public embarrassment he brought upon the university. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. So, weird story. He's damaged his legacy even more. Super messy. I just don't understand it. I I honestly, I, I, I don't get it. I truly don't understand where this is coming from and why it would be remotely worth it to even consider it, let alone get to the point of hiring another attorney and having these legal volleys behind the scenes that then go public. And, you know, then his lawyer like gets depanced by the West Virginia's general counsel. Like that was an absolute strut of a statement just boom, 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 A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Here's here's why he's resigned. And here's every single piece of documentation that we have. And here are the other lawyers that were involved in this case. Really strange situation. I don't know what the next step in this is, honestly. I, I guess maybe Huggins's attorney is going to try and bring about um, more legal battles with this. It's just, it's not going to end well. And it's like, it's sad. It is really, truly sad. Um, And you see a man who obviously loved his job, but, you know, effed around and found out finally, like it just it just happened. Like it's over. There's going to be no more uh, eras, phases, days with West Virginia and Bob Huggins uh, working together. That's not going to happen. So if for whatever reason you were tuned out for the past few days, that has been the biggest news in all of college basketball and I guess we'll wait and see what happens next. But uh, the idea that Huggins would think that he didn't technically resign and, you know, the George Costanza reference is is probably beyond cliche at this point, but yes, it is the, (laughs) I didn't quit. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pretend this didn't happen. Like, come on now. What are we we doing here? So um, that's where we are with Huggins. Oh, by the way, Josh Eilert, one of Huggins' assistants, as a reminder, is the interim coach. Also, a bad look for just the staff and the like, it's it brings more of a maelstrom to the program in general. They've already got a tough enough job heading into next season where West Virginia will probably be picked with a new head coach, like the roster solid, but they've lost some portal pieces. Like they'll be picked for sure in the bottom half of the big 12. And like, there's might be some that won't expect them to be, you know, better than the ninth or 10th in the league now, because of all of this and all this uncertainty, uh, Huggins hasn't done his, uh, his, his, his former colleagues. Well, in this, in this whole mess as it is. So that, uh, that's, that's the Huggins update. Didn't anticipate on, uh, a, on a Bob Huggins update in July, but nonetheless, here we are. Let's get to the real meat of this show. Adam Finkelstein is going to join me after the break. I saw him down at Peach Jam. We're going to get into the big names that GP and I talked about, but also the top 10 prospects in 2024, a few big 2025 names to know, and everything else from the first part of the July period. Fink's
0: going to join me on the other half of the break. But first, Nada, cue it up. You know what to do. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7.
1: Adam Finkelstein, director of scouting for two, four, seven sports joining us on the pod. We did this a year ago as well. You and I, I, I yes, guess
2: but you didn't, you didn't use the word de uh prior to my not. arrival uh, a year ago. So Is I'm, I'm pants
1: just- or de I feel like when you put pants on, you're pantsing yourself and then you're de-pantsing, right? You de-plane. I,
2: I, I dare not speculate.
1: Okay. All right. Fair enough. Listen, we did this a year ago. You informed the audience um, I, I'm I'm sensing a pattern. By the way, like Paris is nowhere to be found. Don't know what that's about. But you know what? You and I, we roll. We roll together. We're gonna make it work. We're gonna make it work. Okay. So, um, well, let's start on the let's start on the biggest guys here. Because um, I do I I do want your thoughts. By the way, this is your chance right now at the top before we even get into this for the for the people that are interested in recruiting not just in July but more year round. Um, you do this pod thing, uh, on your own over at two, four, seven sports, where can they find your show and what is it called? Yes.
2: Yeah, so we've got college basketball recruiting weekly, and that is a, a weekly recruiting show that they're now putting out in podcast form. Uh, you can find it on the 24 seven sports YouTube page. You can always, always find it on the 24 seven sports homepage as well. And it's basically, Um, Very similar to the Ion College Basketball podcast, just with a recruiting slant to it. So we just keep track of all the main recruiting headlines uh, of the past week, uh, talk about what's going on in the recruiting trail. Sometimes it'll be things like what's going on in college basketball and how that impacts the world of recruiting, what's going on in the NBA draft and how that impacts the world of recruiting. Um, So all those things you can find 24-7 Sports YouTube page or the 24-7 Sports homepage.
1: Dig it, um, and yes, you will get much more intel on these players year round. But this is this episode is to kind of give a primer to uh to the folks kind of checking in with the college hoop scene in July being so important with the recruiting calendar. So Adam is a uh, is the guy to bring in on this. Okay, let's go with let's go with Cooper Flag. We'll start with him. Um, uh, impossible not to be wowed by him. Uh, I actually thought you know his main United team wound up making it to the 16U title game. They lost to. Uh, to uh knight riders and cameron boozer's team we'll get to boozer and the boozer brothers in just a second here um but yeah i don't know if we've ever really talked extensively i've heard your your deep thoughts on on cooper flag uh and where he stands in your eyes as a prospect and oh by the way is like is duke the overwhelming leader from a recruiting's perspective just you know the floor is yours on all things cooper adam
2: so cooper you know this national um you know buzz really began last at last year's peach jam uh, because the the rising senior class a year ago not unlike this year was somewhat underwhelming and so you know when people come in whether it's national college basketball media like yourself or nba scouts they're kind of looking for somebody to be excited about and they had to go find the younger players in order to do it last year and you know cooper flag is a exceptionally talented young player as is cameron boozer and so that was kind of the buzz a year ago, and I'd never seen anything like that. Like national media, NBA scouts gravitating towards the E15 division, which is basically the rising sophomores. Um, to be candid with you, I watch very few of those games. We have other people on the 24/7 staff who do, um, but but that is not my uh, you know emphasis. <clears throat> so Cooper was from Maine, right? And you know, obviously, uh, kind of somebody that that I'd heard about being in Connecticut, as you are, for a long time. But the national buzz, it really, you know, it was last summer where that really took off. And I wrote something kind of immediately after this because some of the the hyperbole around him and Boozer last year for guys who were just rising sophomores was was really over the top. And that's not a shot on those two at all because they're both incredibly talented. It's just kind of a realization about like, hey, these guys are are rising sophomores we just saw what all this early hype did to somebody like Amani Bates. Let's just, let's just give them time to run their own race and figure out who they are before we start calling them Kevin McHale and stuff like that, which yeah, is yeah. literally something that happened last, <laughs> last summer. Um, so, you know, a year. So here's what happened. Cooper flag goes to Montverde Academy. They have a very good season, as they always do, he averaged nine points a game. He was their fourth leading score good year, but hardly like Kevin McHale. Um, so, you know, and, and coming into the the spring, both he and Boozer. Now, the interesting thing is they're both twins. They both have a twin brother. Cam's twin brother, Caden, is another nationally ranked prospect. And Cooper's twin brother, Ace, also plays with him in Montvert. So they wanted. To, they both wanted to play with their twin brothers. So they both decide to play in the E16 division. Although they both probably would have been... Um, the two best, you know, arguably prospects players in, in the EYBL. So it makes the E16 division now much more interesting than it always has been long and the short of it is, you get to peach jam, uh, Cooper was incredible. I mean, his defensive instincts off the ball, I made this comment. And, and again, I try and stay away from the hyperbole, but I can't remember a, a player under 610 with who is a better shot blocker at this same stage. You know, he, he, patrolled the lane so effectively blocked so many shots changed so many others. His defensive instincts are off the charts. His passing ability is the thing that people don't talk about. He's six, eight, every bit of six, eight, maybe six, nine. And you can see some flashes of the offensive creation. He loves to throw the ball to himself off the backboard. He's got great footwork. He loves to step through and, you know, got all the signs of like a true mismatch player. Although I, I do think the skill set, the handle and all that, the shooting can still come to evolve. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, yes, Duke has been perceived as the the heavy favorite uh, from very early on. But one of the notable developments this week were the defending national champions, making it very clear that they were going to be front and center for this one. There are certainly other schools trying as well. Uh, but UConn was there every single game. Danny Hurley was there uh, very frequently down the stretch. So So there is this is no longer perceived as Duke and only Duke. So that's that's going to be very interesting on that front. And then there's you know, the other kind of elephant in the room is, does he end up 2024? Because he's old enough that if he reclassified, he would be draft eligible on, after just one year of college.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a growing. Well, Paris said on the on the Friday show that we did um that he absolutely expects that Cooper flag will ultimately be a 2024 player because based on just conversations and frankly speculation uh, around the peach I do have a a curiosity and I don't know if you have Intel on this or not, but uh, uh, do we know if, if Cooper, when it, when it comes to his college commitment, um, would he prefer to be a, a, package deal so to speak with with ace or is that not really known whether or not you know eventually like they'll just they play together now they go to Montford, they're obviously on the same team but they might not wind up at the same college together or is is the preference there uh with both of them and maybe the family that they wind up going to the same school
2: you know i i really don't have anything to report on that front what i do know is that this is very much a family decision um mom is an assistant coach for Maine united she's on the bench which i
1: love by the way she is into it it is awesome yes yeah a former former college basketball player to boot yes no doubt
2: about it and um and credit where credit is due ace flag had a terrific week um guarded cameron boozer himself put up put up you know good numbers and and proved himself uh really at that level um at the e16 level to be a very very good player and and help them win i think that's that's the, the just the key there so, you know, whether or not this is a package deal, I, I don't really know. I think there are a lot of different variables to try and sort through, whether it's year, the impact of, of you know, uh, whether he wants to come on his own or with his brother. If he reclasses, does his brother reclass? So there's a lot of things for right. interested yeah. coaches to unpack there. Um, what I will say is this, like if Duke is really serious about recruiting Cooper and Cam, I mean, and they both want to play with their brothers. I mean, that's a four, potentially four players right there. So that that's, you know, it gets starts to get complicated. So yeah. the, the, sh- the short answer to your question is I, I don't think we know definitively what the dynamics of that situation will be. Yet.
1: All right, let's move on to Boozer, Cameron Boozer, but also we'll get into Caden. Caden's uh, ranked 13th in his class, I believe, and, you know, a steady, strong, heady player, was really good in the semis and then made so many key plays uh, in the 16U title game, where Boozer and the Night Riders team beat Cooper Flags' Main United team, Main United beat Night Riders in the Wednesday matchup. When NBA scouts were there, media could be there. I was not there. Coaches were not yet there, so they wound up uh, actually splitting. Uh, but uh, Night Riders wound up winning it. Cameron Boozer. Um, thoughts on his game, and and if uh, he just seems to have and a little, little, little. My thought from this is actually talking to him a little bit. Maybe, maybe he is an overwhelming Duke lean. I honestly don't know. Obviously, his father played there. But it seems like there are a number of high major programs that are uh, vigorously recruiting him. And whereas Cooper would be a, a candidate to reclass to 24, uh, Cameron uh, is locked in on 25.
2: Yeah, he he is not, and I think the big factor there is the age eligibility for the NCAA, the NBA draft. Even if he did reclassify, he he would have to play two years of college basketball as the years currently uh, stipulate. The thing with Cam, um, and we actually talked about that on this week's episode of College Basketball Recruiting Weekly. Uh, he was sick all week. He was he was sick. So I, I heard, and he, and he played through it, and he didn't tell anybody. And, you know, he's not the type to, to you know, whine or complain. Um, but if you've seen Cam Boozer, uh, if, if you saw him a week prior at the NBA camp, if you saw him during the high school season, if you saw him during the E16 uh, regular season, the, the guy you saw at the Peach Jam was not the same player. And I think that's the unfortunate part is because so many, so many people with, you know, with a platform come to the Peach Jam as an opportunity to kind of uh, see the next, you know, the stars of tomorrow and make their judgments based on that. And, and really nobody, um, I hadn't seen it publicized anywhere that he was, you know, really under the weather. And, but again, it was, it was, it was pretty obvious to those of us who've watched a lot of them. Um, you look at his shooting splits in, in the UYBL regular season. They are absolutely off the charts. He's an elite passer. He's just a winning player, but it, you know, at Peach Jam when you're playing for seven straight days, you can see everybody start to wear down well, Cam started to wear down by like Wednesday. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't himself. So I think that, and I, I've been saying this about these two, and even I'm going to add AJ Devonsa to that conversation as well, and I know we're going to talk about all, all three of these guys, but everybody wants to like, you know, who's best, who's best, and that's the fun of it. But I think the bottom line is like it's possible to say Cooper was incredible and really raised his stock uh, without taking anything away from Cam and just saying like, hey, He's impacted winning more so than anybody throughout the course of, of the year and, and just was not 100%, and yet his team still won. So that that's kind of the way I look at it. It's like he wasn't 100%. He fought through it. He didn't make excuses, but we didn't see the best of Cameron Boozer this week.
1: Okay, good to know. I did not know he was under the weather, and uh, even if that was the case, he was still impressive. But, yes, there, was, there were definitely noticeable uh, spurts in many games where um, – Yeah, he was just was not quite as impactful. Um, Let's talk on Caden real quick before I get to the other highlight highlighters uh, highlight players here. Um, For those who might not know Caden Boozer's game like how would you describe uh, what he is and how he is different from Cameron because obviously Cameron's received much more probably even though Caden is also a five star prospect.
2: Yeah, I mean he's five or six inches shorter. First of all, while Cam is is kind of like a four or five positionally, Caden's really a big point guard. Um, had a four to one assist to turnover ratio in the in the E16 regular season, and that's why he jumped the rankings in, in our you know in our uh, latest update. He's also been a, a staple like his brother with USA Basketball and, and been an effective player there. So you're talking about um, not big, not just in terms of his height, but also in terms of the strength of his frame. Uh, point guard who can really see the floor pass the ball and creates matchups because that body type he's he's not the same for as good as he is he's not the same dynamic level of talent as his brother as Cooper as AJ Uh, but make no mistake about it he's one of the most productive and efficient guards in that national class right now and I think that the the potential for a package deal there is is probably higher because even on his own merit, Caden is someone that, that those high major schools would all be recruiting regardless of cam. Uh,
1: yeah. And I don't know if he will, I don't know if Caden will prove to be a one and done talent. I have no idea. Um, but I can see him being a player who, who, if he winds up staying multiple years in college is like top 20 players by the end of his sophomore kind of season. There's a lot of real good promise. there. a very, very fun player to watch there. And uh and we'll wait and see. They're young guys. They're they're you know barring uh, something that I can't see coming soon. Like we're, we don't know where they're going to play for college for for a while here. But uh, but it was great to see them. Okay, before we get to Devonta let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about Harper because this I can't ever remember. You, you might may, may well remember three years like this, but I just never remember ever a year at the Peach Jam where um, not even like I don't even think it was the Brawny year to be honest. Where a non Rising senior was more talked about than like the best player in in the 17 U division, right? And that was the case. It was
2: last year, last two years. I mean, we've kind of been, but other, yeah, other than that, I mean, that's this is this is kind of brand new for us.
1: That's true. Um, um, but Rutgers, there's an interesting developing plot point, uh, with Rutgers. So Ace Bailey is the number Mm -hmm. two player in the class of 24. Um, he is already committed to Rutgers. He is. and then and then you've got you've got Harper, who is the number one player, plays with the New York Renaissance. The Rens made semis, I think. Um, yep. And yep. he had a, he had a solid week. Now, Harper was with Team USA. He flew over to Europe. He played over there. That team actually not, didn't even wind up even meddling, um, came back. I don't, I, if my calendar is right here, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think, I think because of that, he didn't even go to MBPA top 100. I think he came, correct. No, he they, came yeah, from it, Europe right to, right to peach jam, right?
2: Yeah. He and Trey Johnson both made that trip. They were both on the floor. I think it was like 36 hours later after losing that bronze medal game. Crazy.
1: And, right? so I took that into account when, when watching him play, yeah. uh, because that travel is just insane. But um yeah, how would you evaluate Harper's game and uh, and his recruitment at this point, which is obviously so, intriguing because Rut- Rutgers involved with the number one rank recruit period uh, certainly draws uh, turns heads and the fact that they've already got the number two guy in the class. Um, yeah, I don't know if he'll wind up going there, but it, it certainly is. Uh, it's certainly
2: it's is a very bad. realistic possibility. I mean, I think there's five schools that are technically in the mix, but the vast majority of us expect this to come down to Rutgers and Duke. Um, Harper's older brother just graduated from Rutgers, had a terrific career there. Obviously, his dad, Ron Harper, uh, former NBA All-Star World Champion with the Chicago Bulls, shared the backcourt with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Um, but Dylan Harper is uh somewhat similar, <clears throat> excuse me, somewhat similar to his dad in that he is just a big, well-rounded guard. Um, Dylan is a lefty. He's about six foot four, six foot five. He's long, he's strong. He's got a terrific feel for the game. I mean, he can just play within the flow of what's going on. And if you watch that USA basketball team, while they did not finish the way they wanted, Dylan was someone who who earned a lot of praise because he could impact the game without being the quote-unquote man. You know, he didn't need the ball in his hands and the freedom to go to work every possession, like like maybe some other high-profile guys do. But then you put him with the Rens where he does have the ball in his hands and everything does start with him, and he plays that role to perfection as well as to perfection is probably an overstatement, but he plays that role extremely well. Um, so I think that the takeaway for me, and I tweeted this on Saturday after he, he really just carried his team to the semifinals was that for all the talk about the young guys, um, Dylan Harper made it pretty clear that he is the top rising senior, at least in the EYBL. Ace Bailey, who is committed to Rutgers, he plays on AOT, which is a previously a program previously sponsored by Nike, but is now independent. So he was at independent events, and, and the reality is he just doesn't have as many eyeballs on him. But he tried out for that USA Basketball nineteen and under team. He got the flu, and so he wasn't able to continue. But he would have made that team.
1: He looked awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got, he, he, like he he just he didn't show up. Uh, I guess for one session in Colorado Springs, and it was and it was like where is where is he? He got sick. Right. He looked awesome, Adam. Yeah, Lo- love yeah. his potential. Yes.
2: No. And and that's and the challenge when, you know, is to is to be able to evaluate him against high level competition. And so for me, when I went out to that setting and you were there as well, that was my biggest that that was my biggest objective going in was to measure Ace Bailey against high level talent, not just rising seniors, but also uh, incoming college freshmen and even some rising college sophomores. And he did. I mean, he's six, eight, every bit of six, eight. He's long. He's athletic, but he's also got like a really clean shooting stroke. And you put that stuff all together, and he may have more sheer talent than anyone. Dylan Harper right now is the more efficient basketball player, mm-hmm. but that race is not done by a long shot. So uh, do they both end up at Rutgers? Uh, it's very possible. Does Ace Bailey have a chance to over overtake Dylan Harper for number one? It's cer- That's certainly a possible outcome in the next, you know, eight to ten months. But it, it all makes for some pretty good theater because it's also very possible that Rutgers comes away with the top two players in the class and out duels Duke uh, for one of them.
1: I, listen. Ultimately, I, I I really it doesn't matter to me where these guys go. Um, but having said that, I do like interesting, and I do like different. And I've said this a few times over the years on this show. When you have a top five, top ten prospect that picks a destination that is not, you know, the customary one. Right. Rutgers getting the top two players would be an incredible storyline for college basketball. Duke is going to get the dudes. Okay. And, yeah, and Schleier so. and that staff have continued to recruit at the level that they were doing in, in final few years here. So maybe, maybe Dylan Harper does go play for Duke. And if he does, well, you know, more power to him and Duke will enter the, the 24, 25 season as a top five program again, without a doubt. But if we were able to get Harper and Bailey playing at Rutgers, it would, it would just, it would bring a, a different kind of energy. It would be, it would be really cool. And for, and for Paykel, who has been a guy that, you know, he is, he has done what was once seen as borderline impossible at the university and made Rutgers into a real factor. Most seasons in the big 10. And now, you know, Brandon Knight is his, is his ace assistant and has been in yeah. there and, and uh, been such a major factor. It's, it's something intriguing to watch. I don't know if, uh, last thing on these guys before we get to the Bonsa, um, Again, I don't know. I just want to tee this up for you. And if you know it, cool. If not, that's fine. But uh, there was buzz that he might, that Harper might announce soon. Do we, by soon, is that like, do we know a few, a few weeks, like the next month, could it drag on? Do we know what his situation is when it comes to uh, picking a school? Uh,
2: You know, Travis Branham just did some reporting on that over on the 24 seven sports uh, site. I I, I would say it's somewhat fluid. Um, You know, I know like you know, like Bill Self in Kansas, they're trying to get in the mix there. Mike Woodson in Indiana, they're trying to get in the mix there. Again, I think this comes down to Rutgers and Duke. But there are, whenever whenever you're talking about a player of this magnitude, especially in this day and age of college basketball, there's a lot of different variables to try and line up before you, you make a, a commitment. So I think it's safe to say that we are all on uh, <clears throat> commitment watch, but that uh, we don't currently believe anything is totally imminent.
1: All right, let's get to the two twenty six guys here, AJ Davanza, and then I want to get your thoughts on Tyron Stokes uh, as well. Um, by the way, do these guys play; they're teammates, right? Uh, they're going, they, going to
2: be teammates. They have not be been teammates. teammates yet. They're, they're going to be teammates. Team. In fact, it was a, a game uh, they went head to head in yes. a game I called on on NBA TV, and I think they're even going to be roommates because we interviewed okay. Tyron afterwards, and I said to him, you know, it's like his first time on national TV, so you know you you're just trying to help help the kids get acclimated a little bit and i was like hey man you got bragging rights now and he just kind of he's like yeah i do you know so that was fun but um aj so aj led the peach jam
1: he's the in, best score in high school right now right fair
2: yeah okay. yeah i think that's 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 probably fair he's um he led the peach jam meaning the 17 and under division in scoring Uh, At one point during the week, it was by more than five points per game over the second leading score. I think it ended up at at about four points per game. But um, he's from the state of Massachusetts. So, again, I I saw him play for the first time in eighth grade. He was playing up with his high school team. And I remember at the time I I tweeted something about him without putting his name in the tweet. Just said, like, just saw an eighth grader score 20-something points in a high school game. Um, impossible not to be impressed, but at the same time, you just hope he maintains his humility and work ethic to, to keep getting better. It was something to that extent. I'm paraphrasing myself, but um, he's done that. And then some because his rate of improvement has been off the charts. So for me, when you're going to talk about who the best young prospect in the country is uh, it is not a two player discussion. It's a three player discussion. And, and there's, there's no discussion that AJ DeBonce should be left out of because for his dominant is his boozer and flag were, this guy was equally dominant offensively, Six eight, six nine. 6'9", um, really skilled shot creator, scores over people from the mid post. He's got some athleticism around the rim. His skill set has improved by leaps and bounds, and he does it in ways that, that translate levels. So he's going to be able to g- get his shot off at the next level. He's going to be transferring out to prolific prep in California, where Tyron Stokes spent his freshman year last year. As I said, they're going to be teammates. And um, so this is kind of heartbreaking for the New England, you know, yeah. high school basketball fans to, to see him leave the area just as Cooper Flag did, who's from Maine. But, um, you know, he's he's special. He's a special talent. He's incredibly gifted. And the most important thing is he continues to improve at a rapid rate. And when you start to project out these youngsters and you start to learn from some of the mistakes of the past, you have to identify both the obvious talent and the second and equally important is the rate of improvement and and AJ's is is rapid.
1: GP wrote a column on Devonta that you can read at cbsports.com as well. Um I, quick on Tyron Stokes before we get to the 24 guys in the top 10 I want to just do a quick uh rapid fire on that. Um I like Stokes more in the game that you called. Um is he well positioned to eventually be the number 1 in the 2026 class um, because Devonta I get, you know, Devonta's older than Cameron Boozer there's a feeling that eventually he could right. Reclass to twenty five, and if that was the case, and we got ways to go here, so I'm not trying to get the yeah. get yeah. too far ahead. But um, I flat out loved Stokes' game. I, I guess he just doesn't have the uh, the perimeter shooting yet, and that's I, I apparently his uh, his biggest room for growth at this young young stage of his life. But I, I saw a player that seemed. I don't know, ready for the moment, well-developed, really good defensive instincts. I love his passing. And there were definitely stretches when he played against and uh, Expressions where I was like, I kind of like Stokes more. I got to be honest. is a live wire. Like, it's undeniable. His, his scoring is, is really the thing that's putting him over the top. But I, I just don't find the gap to be all that big. What's your scouting report on Stokes? And uh, do we think that there's a good chance that maybe he actually winds up being the number one guy in 26 if and when DeBonson reclasses?
2: Yeah, so exactly. If if assuming that people end up in the class where they can be one and done, you you would then say, OK, Cooper flag could be 2024. A.J. DeBonsa could be 2025. If that comes to fruition, uh, d- let me just say this. I'll, I'll phrase it this way. If DeBonsa were to reclassify tomorrow when we uh, debuted 2026 rankings, I think Stokes would be number one right now. Um, it is so early on. Like there are players in this class who we've never heard of before who will end up being not just NBA players, but potentially, if history's any, any indication, NBA all stars who've literally right. not started to evolve yet. Yeah. So I hesitate. I tell people this all the time. Everybody wants to get ranked early, but the reality is when you get ranked or identified early, um, it's a lot easier to quote unquote fall than it is to rise because half of the best prospects haven't even emerged yet. So, um, that's, that's the challenge when you're identified at this early of an age, but certainly, um, Stokes after AJ DeBanza, I think is, is in a position right now where he's the most notable prospect in the class. If you've never seen him play, here's what you have to understand. First of all, he's built like an NFL running back and maybe a tight end, I should say, because he's, he's big, he's ultra powerful and he's explosive when he gets downhill. Um, that is usually a prototype that is concerning, like long-term that's, that's like an early bloomer, someone who is just bigger and stronger at an early age. And so that's, that's the basis of their productivity. And oftentimes that, that doesn't pan out long-term because other people catch up physically. So unless your game keeps evolving, um, then, then you might be in trouble. Uh, Paulo Banquero is actually a good example of somebody who was that early, but then his game kept evolving. So he was able to maintain his status. Uh, Stokes, I think, like DeBanza, has already shown a, a really impressive progression of his skill set. The shooting um, is noticeably better than it was a year ago. Um, the passing is really starting to come to the forefront. So, you know, and the other thing is, I should say this as we start to project how he's going to evolve physically, people don't realize he's actually young for his grade. So, although he's built like a 25 year old man, he's actually the same the correct age if not maybe even a little young for a rising high school sophomore so what his frame ends up looking like it's hard to imagine he's not close to maxed out because he's already so powerful but he is so young and he is continuing to improve at such a rapid rate there's there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about what he could be down the road but right now like physically he's able to compete like you could put him in a college practice tomorrow and he'd look he wouldn't be out of place at all
1: All right. Good deal. Um, Let's do some rapid fire. I'm going to read off three through 10. This is the class of 24. So these are the rising seniors. They will play in college next year. OK, I'm going to I'm going to give the name where they're from and the schools that they've either committed to or that I understand that they're involved with. You give me the the nut graph, uh, what kind of player they are, and if you've got anything to add from a recruiting standpoint, their their situation, absolutely one hundred percent. Please chime in. All right, so third in the twenty four list. Actually, before I get uh, rolling, when will two four seven update its twenty twenty four ranking? Like, is that coming soon, or is that like that'll be in August because okay, we're okay. we're
2: back on the road this weekend. Yes. Uh, the the college bat the recruiting world's kind of back in Vegas for the most part, although there's there's things all over the place, but Vegas is the hub this weekend. And then the NCA Academy at the end of the month is going to be in Memphis. So we will, we will update everything kind of post-summer um, in, in the month of August.
1: Okay, dig it. So I'm about to read you three through ten. When, was the, when did this list get updated? Like What is this reflective first of? First week we in here? June. Okay, so first week in June, so relatively recent. That's yep. good context there. Okay, third is Trey Johnson. He's out of Branson, Missouri, played with Houston Hoops down at the Peach Jam. Uh, Baylor, Kansas, Kentucky, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas are all in pursuit of Trey Johnson. What do the people need to know?
2: Volume score, uh, previous number one, Dylan Harper overtook him in in uh, June, um, but just a guy who, who is bucket hunting, and he can score at different levels. Uh, originally from the state of Texas, he's going to go to boarding school in Missouri, but the perception was early on is that it was looking like a Texas and Baylor showdown. This is back when Chris Beard was still at Texas. Obviously, things have evolved since then. Kansas has made a really hard push. Schools like Arkansas, Alabama and Kentucky are now among his top six as well. Uh, But people do wonder if he's going to want to stay home or go back home and play because he is from the state of Texas and um, probably the most prolific volume scorer in the class.
1: Number four is a player named Floria Badunga or Badunga. He uh, is from the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Plays on the Adidas circuit. I saw him in person last week at the Adidas three-star select basketball championship event. Uh, Currently lives in Kokomo, Indiana. 6'8 center type. Duke, Kentucky, Indiana, Kansas seem to be the four most in uh, hot pursuit. What do we know about uh, Badunga? And am I saying his last name correctly?
2: As far as I know. Um, okay. he's a big fan of the Beach Boys and their their throwback cocoa yeah. song. All
1: right, but um, listen, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need to uh to to get his thoughts on pet sounds because yeah, uh, I tried to, I, I, I tried yeah, to do I can't that. Have, I can't have him digging into the 80s stuff. Okay. I, where, I where tried to right? do that, for you there. that just,
2: just trying to speak your language. It's your pod. Um right. the most physically dominant big man in the class, uh six foot nine, probably in shoes, maybe six foot eight without, but long, explosively athletic, lefty, rips the rim down. Uh, Block shots just emphatically, really changes and trying to stretch his game. His best basketball is when he plays with the motor to complement that explosive athleticism. And typically he does. Um, but from what I understand the day you guys were there, didn't necessarily play with quite as hard as he usually does. Nevertheless, I mean, the reality is these are still kids. There's days when they get a little bit bored. Um, college coaches weren't in the building when, when you guys were there and I expect in college, he's going to be the high level athlete with the high motor, but I will also give him credit for, he is kind of force feeding the progression of his skill set, but simultaneously expanding, you know, he's, he's become better at putting the ball on the floor and and starting to stretch his game a little bit, but just, um, the power the length, the athleticism, the mobility, just the most physically dominant big man in the class. Um, he recently told, uh, our Deshaun London at 24 seven sports that he was, um, approaching a decision. Uh, there's a hand, he hasn't like narrowed his list officially, but there's a handful of schools who, who were obviously following him, Michigan, Kansas, Indiana, Auburn, Cincinnati, and now Duke most recently getting in there. So those are some of the schools to watch out for him. And it sounds like, uh, I would certainly expect him to go in the next, you know, couple of whether it's weeks or months, but certainly in time for the early signing period.
1: Number five is Ian Jackson. He is a Carolina commit. Uh, also, wait, did he make, did he make the, the U19 or did he? Yeah, he was there. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's what I thought. Uh, also on the Adidas circuit, six, four shooting guard from the Bronx played with, uh, I think the New York uh, wizards on the Adidas. It's the Wiz, Wiz kids. Kids. the Wiz kids. There we go. Um, yep. Ian Jackson. Uh, what do you like most about his game?
2: wiry, competitive athlete who plays and attacks on both ends of the floor can be a little hit or miss. Like you see him on a bad day, can be like, "Mm." you see him on a good day. You're like, wow. Um, But at the USA basketball trials, he's historically been very good with USA basketball. Excuse me. And he made this team this year because I thought he had a really good trials and he played. He was in the rotation um but uh someone who can get it done on both ends of the floor you will remember that um there was speculation even though he's committed to North Carolina that he could be a candidate to reclass and join them right away along with Elliot Cadeau yeah. he has s- since put that to rest and said no no he's going to go back to high school he's old enough where he, he could go to go to uh, college right now there's also been speculation that maybe Rick Petino was trying to see if he might have any interest oh. in staying home with St. John's he is he has uh, gone on the... Ian Jackson has gone on the record and saying, no, he's firm in his commitment to North Carolina, but those are all things to monitor. Again, a a wiry athlete and just hyper-competitive uh, player on both ends of the floor.
1: Good interview as well. Uh, Good kid. I like him. Yeah. Carolina fans will like him if, indeed, he winds up uh, playing there. Number six is, uh, is a six nine center out of Baltimore and a projected Maryland commit. He's a 100% crystal ball right now at 247 Sports. Derek Queen, uh, Adam, was this... Uh, and my misremember, actually, I actually wanted to ask you, I didn't want to fact check it, but I feel like he was like formerly a number one yeah. player, I say in his class, like, but like this, when he was like 13, he was considered the best in his age group. Is that right?
2: So, you know what happened in the midst of COVID? Um, he was someone like the NIBC, which is the, the premier high school league was, was doing its startup event in the, in the midst of COVID and every, it was, it was almost like a mini bubble. And at the time, Derek Queen was, I believe, a freshman at St. Francis Academy And the event was held uh, in Northern Virginia. So they were brought in. And again, like everybody was tested, you were sent to the hotel, and like you, it was, it was, you know, basically not quite like the NBA bubble, but there were a lot of protocols in place. And Derek Queen was phenomenal then. I mean, I remember coming down, I want to say he had 20 20 games because he's got magnetic hands. He's, he can, he can, uh, he can pass. He's got great touch, kind of like a, He's a little bit of a throwback because he's not an explosive athlete, and his conditioning's always kind of been a work in progress. But he's he's yeah. clever with his footwork, and just his hands are, are incredible. That's his best asset. So uh, he was at that point, like in, in the I was at ESPN at the time, and I think you know when we debuted our rankings, uh, he was number one then. And I think uh, most people in the industry, 24-7 sports included, had him at that point. Now, since then, like I said, when you get labeled number one that early on, Mm -hmm. uh, it's tough because other players are going to emerge and that has happened. And, And Derek, because he's not an explosive athlete, you know, there are questions about how his game could ultimately translate to the highest levels. But from a productivity standpoint, there's been very little to not like he was arguably Montverde's. Uh, most productive player this year, and again, that's a Montfort Academy team that had Cooper Flag on it, and Derek Queen was was probably their their focal point offensively. Here, Liam McNeely were the two guys who led them in scoring, and uh, again, just a, a constant double double threat. Incredible hands, a really good passer, really clever with his footwork, and has the touch where. You, you. I'm actually surprised he's not more of a floor spacer at this point. I would have thought with with his hands in touch, he would have been able to develop his shooting. Everybody talks about the body and the athleticism, but I think the untapped potential is if he can stretch his skill set out to the arc.
1: Seventh is Carter Knox, his six five wing from Tampa, younger brother of uh, that's uh, younger brother of uh, Kevin Knox. Carter Knox, uh, that's Carter with the K, um, being recruited by Kentucky, of course, Louisville, Auburn. Arkansas, LSU, and Florida State played for uh, a pretty loaded Florida Rebels team down at Nike EYBL. Adam,
2: yeah, he and Liam McNeely of uh, the aforementioned Liam McNeely from Montford Academy, the one-two punch on that team. Carter Knox, one of the leading scores in EYBL, um really long, really long wing. He's about six foot five, uh strong body, inside-out scorer, volume scorer though. You know, things are, are kind of revolve around him with that that Florida Rebels team, but. It'll be very interesting to see if this turns into uh, John Calipari versus Kenny Payne mm-hmm. round two. Um, that's that's going to be a, a fun one. They were both front and center for for uh, quite a few of his games this week and and did some you know some of the... was it you who tweeted this or somebody else who was like oh the fake hug between these two it was
1: I did not I did not tweet that I think I might have bothered Cal for a couple minutes during a Florida Rebels game I'm trying to remember when I actually interviewed him and I think it was uh, front and center for the Rebels but he was. He was amicable enough. Um, McNeely's the eighth guy. He's from Plano, Texas. Is that an Indiana versus Texas battle, as far as we can tell? Or is there anyone else in there for McNeely?
2: Yeah, I mean Oklahoma, Kansas, Alabama, Michigan are are also included in his final six. What I've got a hot take about Liam McNeely because right,
1: um, let's hear it. Other than uh, he feels like uh, he should be a part of the cast of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> okay, Liam McNeely uh, feels like he's steps right in, but yeah.
2: I think in this class. Um, It's possible that Liam McNeely ends up being the most valuable recruit for college basketball because he and Derek queen are two guys that may not be one and done. Um, There's questions about how they could project. And if, if those guys play more than one season, like if you said to a college coach, would you rather have one year of Dylan Harper or two or three years of Liam McNeely? I think you'd be hard pressed not to say two or three years of Liam McNeely because again, he was the guy at Montverde. He and Derek Queen—they were the focal points. This is a highly skilled, six-foot-seven, six-foot-eight wing, and equally smart. He shoots it, he passes it, he plays a style that is going to translate really easily to the college level. Now, people are going to question his foot speed, and that's fair. But he is a very heady positional defender. I mean, you don't see him out of position. You don't see him giving up straight-line drives. There are sometimes uh, cases where he's just guarding someone who's got a little bit more athletic pop. Um, but he 's smart enough to always be in gaps and always kind of be volume man and 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 make it difficult on those guys so uh he 's one of I think the the most skilled, smartest, most efficient players in the class, and I think he 's going to be one heck of a college basketball player.
1: I love the guy that 's ninth Drake Powell, a Carolina commit parents both went there six five power wing, a vocal teammate from Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Uh, I don't know if he's a one-and-done talent, I, 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 but to what you just said about McNeely, uh, I mean, Caroline's got two guys in the top 10 here, and they both they just seem like they will eventually be just tremendous additions uh, to the Tar Heels under Hubert Davis.
2: So when we put him in the top 10, um, we took a little bit of slack because he didn't put up really big numbers in the EYBL regular season. And so like for as great as the stats are, I think there's there's a... There's a subset of the population in the grassroots basketball world that only look at the stats and are kind of unable to, to go beyond that. And on the stats alone, Drake Powell, I mean, he didn't average double figures through four EYBL sessions. Now he came uh, out. The I'm going
1: to interrupt game. you real quick here. When you watch, when you watch him play, it is, it is the most obvious undeniable. This dude is affecting the game every single time down the floor, yeah. whether he's touching the ball or not. It like, it is irrepressible how much impact he has on, the, on, on it. Uh, he was maybe my favorite player. I saw non like, you know, high wattage guys over the past few days down at Nike EYBL. Good
2: but he's got, so few things he's got, he's got adequate positional size for any level. Um, He's a hyper competitive player and a, and a high level athlete. So he's got the physical markers that translate the knock on him. He's a, he's a really impactful defender. The knock on him has, has been his offense. Um, And at that, those USA basketball trials that, that we've mentioned that you and I were both at, I got like like I did the the Mike Schmitz uh, slow-mo uh, look at his jump shot thing there. <laughs>
1: did you ask Schmitz if you could do that?
2: Yeah, I don't know if Schmitz I, – I, I should send him a check or something because we yeah. see if Paramount can take care of that. Um, but, uh, you know, there's nothing broken about a shot. And somebody – you know, people are like, it's not perfect. I was like, no, it's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better than you would expect for someone who shot 18% from the three-point line. So when you add all that up and and like there's context in this too, like that, you know, his team had kind of, it wasn't like a great fit for anybody there. Um, yeah. I mean, on our show yesterday, Eric Bossy said like, he thinks him, he thinks he's, he's maybe top three. Travis Branham said maybe top five. So, you know, people thought we were went too far by making him top 10. Well, we're about to go way too far, I think, because the the competitiveness, the athleticism and the signs of the offensive potential um, are, are starting to become more obvious for those who are kind of only judging the stat sheet.
1: Wow. How about that? Yeah, that's uh that's that's good stuff. Uh ten is Isaiah Evans. I mentioned him on the previous show with GP uh, out of Huntersville, North Carolina. Do commit six six slinky score and
2: Slinky score? I've never uh, I love nude t- type what does that mean? Um, that-
1: he's he's got he's got he's you know he's he's long-armed he's 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 slippery and 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 when i said on the show on friday the brandon ingram comp is you can't get away from it like the way he's all arms and legs he looks like yes 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 yes.
2: yeah so we the the thing about uh, isaiah is isaiah's committed to duke but he's not the prototypical duke kid despite the brandon ingram comp because he's like a guy who loves to catch it in the mid post and kind of you know, because of his length and he's got a really high release point, he can score over anybody with these kind of high volume, tough twos. That is kind of the antithesis of what you think of, of of Duke basketball. Um, But he's a sneaky, good passer and he's got all kinds of upside. Um, And again, we have people on our staff who are super high on him and his potential. And when it comes to sheer talent um, I don't know that there are five guys in the class who are better than him. So when when the productivity and the efficiency, most of all, starts to catch up with that talent, um, he's another guy that, that you know whether he's at 10 right now, could certainly end up higher than that.
1: I saw one of his games, I think it was Friday, and I was standing next to an SEC head coach. And it was the head coach and one of his assistants, me, and then another assistant uh, from an ACC school. And he goes, no, no, his—he's different. When it goes in, it sounds different. You just wait, and like literally the next possession, we're down there. He takes—he takes a deep three, and it's like nothing but net. And it was just like the perfect net swish. And he's like, I told you, it sounds different. It was a really a. Uh, Really, really cool, really fun moment. We got a little more to get to. Nada, let's queue up. You know what? Let's go for another break here. Yeah, this is a big episode. Listen, we wanted to give you as much as possible. So a couple more big names in 25 to know, and then some just general takeaways from Peach Jam. We'll get to that right after this break. All right, let's get to a few more 25 guys. Remember, this is the classic flag and boozer. Um, I got four guys. Uh, One is Darren Peterson out of Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. He's a 6'5 shooting guard. Seems like uh, Kentucky, Carolina, Ohio State, Michigan are in on him. Again, these are 25 players, so we're not going to get too nuts with – with where they are in terms of their development, but just a general, uh, you know, general. Primary. Best guard in the
2: class, best guard yeah. in the class, the USA basketball 16 and under team this year. He was one of their best players along with, you know, boozers on that team, co Pete's on that team. Uh, and Darren Peterson was, was the best guard really. He's always been a high profile national kid, but in the last, you know, this grassroots season, he's made it clear that he is in the top five in that class and the best guard in that class uh, hasn't spoken publicly about like narrowing the list, but he's, he's going to be able to go wherever he wants.
1: Yeah, as we get into the 25 class, obviously a lot of these players are not going to have schools down to a narrow list and trying to forecast where they're going. It's a little bit foggier. Koa Pete, you just mentioned him on the Adidas circuit. Did see him. Um, I am interested in his overall projection because if you told me he was... uh, you know, a, a quality player that maybe needed a second year college who wouldn't stun me. He's a six eight power forward center from Gilbert, Arizona. There seem to be fifteen plus high majors that are recruiting him at this at this point. But maybe I'm maybe I'm slightly too down on his uh, his projection. Uh, he's definitely like he's a beast for his age. Uh, what do people need to know about Koa Pete?
2: Well, he's he's that early bloomer. You know that that you get a little nervous about. So last year, first of all, played with Compton Magic. Came out as a freshman last year. Joins three SSB and he leads the whole circuit. In scoring. Basically, he did what AJ Devansa did a week ago. He did it last year as a freshman. He was that guy. So while Cooper Flag and and Cam Boozer are playing E fifteen, or he was not only playing E seventeen at Adidas, but he was leading them in scoring. And he's continued to be every bit as dominant. Now, people question the upside because he is he was big and strong and has kind of a, a broader build at an earlier age, but Credit where credit is due. He has really sculpted his physique in the last year. He has expanded his game. And, and I would call him almost like a a playmaking, a playmaking mismatch for like you put the ball in his hands and, and you let him operate off the bounce. He's a way better passer than than people realize right now. He gets his he's, he's not going to like blow right by you but he gets his body on you and you can't stop him from going where he wants. He's going to have to make the three ball a more consistent part of his arsenal, given how the body type is going to translate. But again, on that E16 team, uh, he didn't take a backseat to anyone. It was him Peterson and cam Boozer were the guys that were very clearly the leaders of those team. And what is widely considered to be one of the best USA basketball teams at this junior national level that we've seen in a long time. So, so co um, has has just been uh, as productive as any player in the class at every step along the way so
1: far. Two more. One is Bryson Tiller. He's six eight power forward. It seems from Atlanta. Who I get? He's going to play with OTE, but then he did to- last year. Was his first okay. year there? Yeah. And so, but he will ultimately go to college. Correct. That's the plan or the idea. That's as
2: it as it is currently uh, states, yes.
1: Okay. And he plays on the Under Armour circuit, right?
2: He does. He's with Atlanta Express. He's always been with Atlanta Express. Uh, He's from the Atlanta area. Last year was his first year at Overtime Elite. Overtime Elite is based in Atlanta, so I think it was an easier transition for him. Uh, He was part of the new OTE initiative where they maintained their college eligibility. Um, So he is, uh, as a rising junior, he's entering his second year there. He's another one uh, who's just kind of a man-child. I mean, he is long. He is powerful. He, you could put him in a college game right now, and he would look every bit like he belonged. He's more skilled than people give him credit for. In fact, he's worked really hard to polish his mid-range game and to extend his shooting range, and if there is a knock, it's that sometimes he doesn't fully utilize all of his physical tools and just punish people inside the paint. But he's a top-five prospect in this class because of uh, just the natural talent, the length, the strength, the body type, and the underrated skill set, um, and it's going to be interesting because uh, you know there's there's another guy from the state of Georgia kind of chasing him, who's really the antithesis, and I think that might be the next guy you it is, about. It is, it is. We'll
1: get to him, and and just even going through these names, it's why, like, man, the twenty five class is just yeah, it's really. I mean, good. like, I can't, like, I don't. So Caleb Wilson's the last guy we'll talk about here's a six nine combo forward from Atlanta, played with Georgia Stars, was just down at Peach Jam, and and granted we're between these guys and then flag and blueser and even like Caden boozer. I just, you know, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of dudes in this class, man. Like if this guy, if you tell me that Caleb Wilson ultimately settles, I'm not saying he will settle there, but if you told me like at the, at the end of it, he winds up as like the seventh rank prospect or the second rank prospect in his class, I could believe either one. And it would speak Mm -hmm. to the strength overall in the class.
2: Yeah. There's a wide range of potential outcomes for him. Caleb Wilson, another guy who's playing up EYBL, but what's unique about him is he is of all the names we've talked about so far, he is the most physically undeveloped. And while that may sound like a negative, I actually view it as as somewhat of a positive because it means he's got all this upside still left to uh, kind of discover. And he is he's someone who hasn't filled out his frame yet um, is is very clearly has his best basketball still in front of him. He got a triple double on the last day he played in the UYBL, and the uh, I think it was Saturday in a game that was on, on at least the NBA app. He has phenomenal instincts, uh, both ends of the floor, and is just someone who's, who's got a ton of natural talent. And I think, to your point, um, very possible. I mean, he's at six right now. I will tell you, internally, we had people who wanted him in the top five right now. Um, but the fact that he and Tiller are both from Georgia uh, was interesting because they're, they're polar opposites. Like, Tiller's already a man physically and you have Caleb Wilson who's who's just like hasn't even really started to grow into his body but that does ha- leave him a lot of runway for future growth.
1: Alright let's let's uh, let's do a quick recap of, uh, of what we saw down uh, down in, uh, in Georgia and then even yep. uh, Adam's got a little bit more um, so team takeover oh by the way team takeover won, won the title um, 76-61 over Vegas Elite so is Tyron Stokes' team. Uh, best prospect on takeover is Darren Harris is that, is that accurate Adam?
2: No um he's darren the, he's harris from,
1: he had 28 points in that game yeah he
2: was the best player in the finals uh takeover is a team that does it by balance um yeah. patrick Nagumba is um is their center he he played through a rolled ankle um but he's got offers from duke kentucky yukon kansas state i would say those are the kind of the big four just did uh we just wrote about him as we're doing a big scouting series one of the best big men in the ybl darren harris one of the best shooters in the country yeah. Um he's the one who carried them in the uh in the semifinals. Highest ranked guy in that team is Donnie Freeman. He's a top thirty kid, mobile, six nine, four man going to Syracuse. Um so like this is the thing with takeover. Everybody on the court was a high major kid. Yeah. So um and they had extreme balance. Their third peach jam championship ever. So one of the most successful programs in the history of Nike grassroots basketball. Yeah.
1: They're out of greater DC. That is Hunter Dickinson's EYBL alma mater. As I mentioned on last week, uh, I, 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 well, I was, all saying, the I was
2: we're going to Hunter Dickinson, no Victor Oladipo or, but well, yeah. now listen,
1: Dickinson was in the hotel. I was, I was staying in the same hotel as takeover. I didn't, I didn't realize I was providing that. Hunter kind of would probably
2: like Hunter probably thinks he is the most famous alum to come out of takeover. So he'd <laughs> probably appreciate that reference. Yeah.
1: um, Okay, couple couple guys from me, and then I want I want Adams just kind of takeaways and any guys or whatever. But uh, I have five guys that I saw play that are six guys I saw play that I, that I like. Uh, Jace Richardson, uh, Jason yep. Richardson, son, Paul George, Elite. He's a 6 combo guard in twenty twenty-four, based out of Vegas, fiftieth uh, in the class, being recruited by Bama, Arkansas, Cincinnati, Michigan State, and his uh, Stanford, Virginia, San Diego State. He's kind of all across the board there. He was. Um, Tremendous. I just like immediately, he was the first guy once I started watching. I was like, eh, I'm gonna, I got to talk about him on the pod in some uh, Especially respect. Especially at the
2: beginning of the week. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He, yeah. 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 Because that's a really loaded team, uh, had really high expectations. Jamari Phillips is, you know, the higher ranked of the two in the backcourt right now. Jamari went down with an injury, although, um, and it, it kind of hurt, you know, like hurt their stock. But I will say that the Richardson was the more efficient player uh through the through the week and and i think he definitely moved the needle and and will be a player who rises as you said he's he's the son of jason richardson another guy who hasn't grown into his body yet so he still got all that upside but high level athlete really long plays both ends of the floor and and the jumper looks like it's it's starting to hold up and that was you know that that's 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 relevant uh
1: 2025 prospect who just played well in his title game uh Even before that, Dante Allen for the Knight Riders, Cameron Boozer's teammate, 6'3 shooting guard from Miami. He's ranked 80th in 2025 right now. It just seemed like he popped his value Saturday and Sunday. Seems like a multi-year college player, but uh, I saw him multiple times, and I liked him every time I saw him. Um, Ahmad Noel from Team Final. He's 35th in the class of 2024. Six foot athletic strong, long battery combo guard from Philly. Very fun, very fun player to watch. Is committing on July 23rd. He will be attending either Kentucky... Georgia Tech, Tennessee, or UConn. We will see. Do you have a prediction, Adam Finkelstein?
2: Uh, not that I'm not that I'm at liberty to, to okay. discuss. We're, we're trying. We're trying to get him to announce with us. I'll oh well, that. that would be we're wonderful. Cool. Might even be an H2 yeah, or a two four seven
1: announcement. That's awesome. And then three more. Uh, Royce Parham on Team Durant. Uh, from Pittsburgh, committed to play for Marquette, six eight guy with a good knack. You know, wasn't like you know over the moon, but occasionally I'll just see a guy that I don't even know exists before I go to a peach jam, and uh, for one reason or other uh, sticks out. I thought Royce was one of those dudes. Uh, Demarian Dennis for Drive Nation, six footer from San Antonio. I guess he's a mid mid major recruit, but I don't know. I like watching him play. He was a lot of fun. And then I think my favorite under the radar dude. Is this player named Ashton Simmons who plays for JL3? Yeah, John yeah. A great team out of out of out of Houston. He's a six-two-point guard from Beaumont, Texas. He entered the Peach Jam with offers from I talked to him after. I think it was Sam Houston, Lamar, North Texas, and then Texas AM. Texas has so much talent in so many schools. Um uh, he has since gotten out and then he got offers from NCANT, uh TCU, and I think Louisiana Tech. This dude was was uh, I I don't know. I I don't understand why he doesn't have more high major offers, but what the hell do I know? I, he was, he was a lot of fun and has a wonderful, wonderful knack for, uh, for making the right plays there. So Ashton Simmons stood out to me. Those are my guys. What, uh, what were your big takeaways from peach Jam?
2: You know, I think every year it's to me, a friend of mine went for the first time this year and he was, he was kind of like wide eyed. And, and if you've never been to the peach jam, it really is unlike any other grassroots basketball event, just because of, one, the hospitality, and two, the way the local community supports it. So lots of the times you go to like a grassroots game during the coach of the year, during the course of the year, it's like 10 games going on at once, and it's just like, you know, another AAU tournament. But at the Peach Jam, every court's in their own section. Every court's got a big crowd, and it's it's just um, it's an environment like no other. And I think uh, that to me is – and some people rise to the challenge of that environment, and some people, you know, struggle to maintain – um, so I, my takeaway is always like, unless you've been there, it's hard to relay the atmosphere because it's yeah, closer to a, a college type atmosphere than, than you could probably appreciate. And there are guys that, that certainly, um, helped themselves and, and, uh, you know, made a name for themselves. And, and that happens every year. Um, Howard Pulley had a shooter who I, I loved who I can't, you know, we had him in the eighties and I said, you know, how, how is this kid? I'm looking up his, his name right here? But, um, that's, so I slide off to, uh, make sure, but like one of the be- Jackson McAndrew, one of the best shooters in the country, somebody that, like Duke was starting to evaluate, but he's got, you know, Creighton, Notre Dame, Xavier, places like that already dying for him. Six foot nine knockdown shooter. I mean, maybe the best shooter in the country. Um, wow. you know, somebody who who made a name for himself in in uh, in my eyes.
1: Okay. Um, you also went up to hoop group, which is based in, in Philadelphia. Any, uh, any players or takeaways from uh, from your stopover in the city of brotherly love?
2: You know, that one was just like, you know, that, that one is more like, let me make sure I'm not missing anybody in my backyard. That's an independent circuit. We had all the the shoe circuits covered. Uh, they had a nationally ranked prospect up there this year. So I really wanted to get eyes on him. And ironically, um, he committed to overtime elite the next day. Um, and that is, let me make sure, uh, get his name right. But Going to Darien Sutton from the Young and the Wrestling. It's the name I wanted to make sure I got the the AU program correct. Um, but like long lefty wing who can like really handle and pass. So I think at OTE this year he's going to be a name that that starts to emerge. But clearly, you know, clearly lived up to the top 100 billing. Um, but that's I mean that's the job really. Like you can't just go to Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas. I mean they're they're going to be players everywhere, and you got to try and try and find them.
1: Well, on that, we'll wrap on this. Um, big picture, where do each of these... And I know these circuits are, you know, sometimes they're uh, it's depending on the the talent in the given class. But Nike's obviously the best. But you've got Nike, you've got Adidas, which seems to be better than it was in recent years. Apparently, Under Armour has like a really, you know, poor 2024 class. And now there's, you know, the, there's a new balance circuit. It's got Asa Newell, who's a top 20 player uh, in the class of 24. Um, how would you assess where uh those circuits are these days like is Nike just overwhelming the other 3 or is it maybe you a know, bit more competitive in, in,
2: now in 18 years of doing this I've always avoided yes. ranking the circuits so this is incredible Okay
1: I'm not, uh, I, well Nike is obviously the best one so we don't we can I will say it if you won't because it seems overwhelmingly obvious so whatever
2: I I'll say yeah I'm going to duck the question admittedly so let me own that uh, right off the bat but I, I'll say this like it's um it's imperative to recognize the to see these kids in different contexts, because like, like, for example, you watch takeover and you say like, Oh, Darren Harris is their best guy. Like, yeah. on Sunday he was, um, Patrick Nagambo's their most widely recruited guy. And Donnie Freeman is their highest ranked guy in large part because of what he did during the high school season. So, um, the circuits and, and the, the, the quality and the hospitality and, and the professionalism of them, I think, collectively, we are in a better place with, with grassroots basketball from an evaluator's perspective than we've ever been because of synergy, because of the stats. Um, but there's always guys who emerge from different places. So, like, you know, you, you may have a guy who on one circuit is the fourth best player on his team. He switches circuits and all of a sudden he's the best player on another team. That stuff happens and you've got to be able to, to weigh it all. But and, and you've got to try and see the context and stay above the politics because in, in my world, there's so much of that. Um, but all three circuits have ample prospects for every level of basketball, including the high major level. I think Under Armour, um, what I will say about that is that, that, you know, their 2024 class, like, you know, like, like Sir Muhammad is a guy, um, Nazi Muhammad's son who has really benefited by playing on that platform because he was a nationally ranked prospect perceived as a big wing. He came in and and played with team Curry, Steph Curry's uh, grassroots program and was utilized as a point guard this year and kind of showed that he could do it. And now his recruitment is taking off as a result. So for me, which circuit is better on which year is, is never like, it's not that it's not relevant, but it's just like, for me, I've got to know everybody on every circuit anyway. Right. So um, I, I do think there's, I, I will say this, what I liked about what Adidas and Under Armour did this year is they, they trimmed some of the fat off their league. They have less teams. Okay. And um, that to me has made it uh, a better evaluation setting. And there is not a, like I began in, in April, I went to Adidas and Under Armour. They didn't operate in May. So I went to the two EYBL sessions last week. I had to call games for NBA TV Otherwise I would have tried to hit, hit up all three stops this weekend. I'm going to Las Vegas and I'm going to watch exclusively Adidas and Under Armour teams because I didn't get to go to those circuits last week. So you can't do your job, or at least I can't no one in my industry can do their job unless you know every team on all three of those circuits front and back. And then you're doing your due diligence on anybody else slipping through the cracks.
1: And we'll see if new balance can actually, I don't know it's, it's new to it, but I knew a few coaches that were going out there and, uh,
2: I don't even know if that's New Balance. Like, I think they're just like well,
1: people I had three coaches tell me it was New Balance. So I don't even know. It was it was the one in
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I know it's it's pro sixteen. I'm not I know okay. whether the league is sponsored by New Balance or just some of the teams are, I I, I admittedly do not know.
1: Okay. Well that's uh listen, folks, mid July, just a huge I and mean, what if Parrish was on the show? But were what were we getting into? I don't even want to think about that. Parrish is on vacation, he will be back next week. I sleep. On oh. our- Yes, I'll just say yeah, that. Okay. On that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, we will bring our summer school session stuff next week. Nada, do we know who's going to be the first couple of ones? Do we know that yet? Have we decided if it's alphabetical or if it's in it, order? Or- it,
2: it is alphabetical. Also, one other thing, yes, because you've mentioned summer shoot around, the eBay post, yes, for you to bid on your to bid for your school that didn't make the list. Yes, And the full list will be out probably within the next 24 hours of this recording. But the full list will be out. But if you your school doesn't make it, don't complain to us. Bid yeah. on it. Help out the kids for St. Jude's.
1: There we go. That's what we're doing. Oh, Raise cool. charity for St. We're going to do 20 summer shoot around episodes. We're going to aim for 20 minutes. If it goes over, blame GP. Um, and then the 21st school will be the fan base that raises the most money for St. Jude. You will see the list that will be publicized soon. Those episodes will start next week. Um, if anything else happens this week, uh, I'll hop on, give you another uh, episode, but I'm going, I've got my DMV show. I'm going Dave Matthews band Saratoga this weekend. So I'm come like Thursday. Come
2: Vegas'
1: I am not coming to Vegas, but I will say if, if Vegas is now creeping back.
2: Oh, Vegas is back. 100%.
1: It's back for two days. I need at least three days. No, no,
2: no, no, no. College coaches are there for two days, but it starts oh. on Friday. NBA, so it's at the tail end of NBA Summer League. NBA scouts go in the gym on Friday. And some of the events continue on through Tuesday. So college coaches are only there for two days, but the kids are playing for, for five.
1: Then you'll be in I we, I think, twenty twenty. Actually, it, 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 when we were down at Peach Jam, after uh, an unnamed uh, head coach confronted an unnamed member of the media, uh, we were talking about how we were reminiscing over the Vegas days and uh, how we needed to go back. So maybe twenty twenty four. You know, to use a
2: baseball reference, that's a swing and a miss. <laughs> okay,
1: fair enough. Adam <laughs> Finkelstein is the director of scouting for all of 247 Sports. You can see him frequently on CBS Sports HQ platforms. He's got his own college basketball recruiting podcast over at 247 Sports, wherever you download your podcast. Adam, thank you for joining me on this episode. I appreciate you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. For everyone watching, appreciate you. Subscribe, hit the like button. I don't do the shouts like GP, so instead, uh, awkward pause to end the show. Sound good? Awkward pause?